The March to Madness is underway all around the country. College basketball season is in full swing. Which teams have a real chance at the national championship? Who are the early surprises? How will Seton Hall and Rutgers do in the Big East and the Big Ten, respectively? We'll answer those questions and more on this week's podcast as we're joined by Greg Ehrenberg, college basketball guru for DraftKings. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Lachlan alongside John McAlevey. Thanks for joining us on this week's podcast. And John, we're talking your subject. This is my time of year. I do love college basketball. And as you know, uh, I also coach basketball, so I have my first game rolling around on Thursday night. We'll see how we do with that. All right, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Greg Ehrenberg of DraftKings. And Greg, thanks for giving us a few moments of your time. First off, how does somebody become a sports expert, a basketball expert for DraftKings? Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of weird. Like, it was kind of happenstance for me. Uh, I actually graduated college in 2013, and I started doing stand-up comedy. Uh, and it was just kind of a thing where I really liked basketball, and I started writing uh, about fantasy basketball, just blogs and stuff like that. Uh, and I ended up getting one writing job at Basketball Monster, helping them do projections for, like, yearly basketball and stuff like that. And just kind of promoting my work, I got noticed by DraftKings, just started doing stuff with them. So uh, it wasn't really anything that I ever planned on doing. It was just kind of happenstance, and I kind of built a little following, and there was a demand for it. Well, how is the stand-up business going? Have you put that aside for a moment, or you're still cranking it out? He sat down, it sounds like. Yeah, so is, so is is what happened was, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I'm, I'm no longer standing up. It's sitting down now. Uh, so basically, I was doing that, and it was really fun. I did it for a couple of years, uh, except it kind of takes a long time to build a career doing stand-up and really make decent money. So I was going on the road. I was doing some fun gigs like colleges, and I I'd done stuff with like Grace Morgan and Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, but for the most part, I was doing like bar spots in New York City for like $5 or like half price drinks, which is hard to pay bills on. <laughs> so I just kind of got to a point where I, I was making some money writing about uh, basketball and football and fantasy sports and that kind of stuff. And it just made more sense for me to pursue that. Well, let's get into some basketball now. Uh, and I guess we might as well start at the top. Uh, Gonzaga, right? They're number one right now. And this could be Mark Few's best team. I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders right now. Uh, what do you see from Gonzaga? I mean, Rui Hachimura has just burst on the scene and will be a, a high lottery pick this year. Other than him uh, and the way they play, what do you see from the Zags so far? Uh, if you look at Gonzaga right now, ranked number one, like you mentioned. And the other thing also is they beat Duke already. And you know, coming into the year, I think a lot of people thought Duke was going to be the team to beat. They looked like world beaters to start the year, which we see pretty much every season. The team with the, the best freshman class, the team with uh, all the, the top you know freshmen that are NBA prospects coming in. There's this idea that they're unbeatable, that nobody's ever going to be able to topple them. And we saw Gonzaga beat Duke. So that kind of shows you that they can beat anybody. So, of course, that gives them a really good chance to win the title this year. And the other thing that I like about Gonzaga is – they're not just relying on freshmen. They have they have guys that have been there for more than one year. They've played together. They have a little bit of chemistry, so that, that makes them a little bit more of a known quantity. And just a pretty deep team. Beyond just Hachimura, they have Zach Norvell Jr. who's played well this year. Brandon Clark has looked really good. Uh, Josh Perkins also. They have a bunch of guys who could score and really well-rounded players that could do a little bit of everything. You know, you mentioned not relying on freshman players. That was something that Coach K, early on when that became, uh, you know, all the rage, he sort of chafed at that. He did not want to go with the young players so 
uh, frequently, and I know John Calipari really made his hay with that. And then when Duke wasn't meet, reaching Final Fours any longer, he kind of got with the program and talk about relying on first-year players. I mean, Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. I mean, those could be the three of the top five picks in the NBA draft coming out. I mean, what more can you say uh, about how things are going down on Tobacco Road right now? Yeah, I mean, not only could they be three of the top five picks in the draft, they could literally be the top three picks in the draft. Like, I've seen a lot of people's draft boards that have them, have them as the number one, two, and three prospects. Uh, to me, even though they lost to Gonzaga, I do think that Duke is the team to beat and they actually should be favored to win the championship. Uh, I, I touched on how I think that it's nice that Gonzaga isn't only relying on freshmen. But the reality is the reason that Coach K was okay with going with a, a freshman class now this year and in the previous few years is because they are still the most talented players. There's a reason that they're expected to be top picks in the draft, and that's because they're guys with really high upside. Mm. So looking forward at Duke come uh, tournament time, when they have guys like Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cameron Reddish who have a little bit more experience and I think could build on their games and become even more well-rounded, I I just think that there's so much talent there that it's hard to think that they shouldn't be the team to beat come the tournament. Everybody has an opinion, of course, and uh, that's what makes sports so great. And if someone is going to DraftKings and, you know, wants to play and have some fun uh, on a certain team or a certain weekend, you know, whatever it is, whatever the amount of time they spend on it, how do they balance? What's your suggestion to them regarding early season basketball? There are some great interconference battles, but there are also the cupcakes. How, how do you figure out who's really good and maybe not so good just kind of playing with pixie dust in the early going. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of a leap of faith in terms of you, you have to kind of watch the games and you figure out like, oh, okay, these are the players that I think are good or maybe aren't good. Another thing I think is pretty good to go off of this year, if you're on the DraftKings app or the website, it will show the opponent rank in terms of this is how well teams do or don't do guarding each position in terms of fantasy points. And for college basketball, it gets like ridiculous because there's so many teams. So you'll see next to a team like, oh, this team is 360th against defending point guards for fantasy purposes. So it, it, that's like a useful tool to go off of because it's, it's not like NBA or NFL where you could realistically watch every single college basketball game because th- there's too many to watch every minute of every single team. So, so that's a good way to just kind of judge like, oh, what's a favorable or a difficult matchup. So are you one of those guys at 7 o'clock, you're in front of the tube and you're watching until 1.30 when a West Coast game is over? Uh, maybe. Uh, not always <laughs> Hey, listen, we, uh, we've all gone down that road. We still travel it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if there's if there's definitely a, a, a really good game on TV that I want to watch, I'll catch it. But I'm not watching, like, uh, Elon play, uh, <laughs> like, S- Southern, whatever. I, I brought up Elon as my reference because that's where I went to. I went to college, so okay. as opposed to just uh, kind of poo-pooing some other uh, like mid-major school, I'll, I'll go with the one that I went to. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can talk about my mother, but you can't talk about my mother, right? <laughs> turning our no, attention, it's a, it's yeah, good tur- point. Turning our attention, we're we're here in the uh, in the Northeast, New York, New Jersey. The Big East Conference has had wild success. I mean, when their football brethren left them a number of years ago. Many people wrote them off and sort of left them for dead, and uh, Villanova rising to the top of the college game has really helped them. But they've had a lot of other success. They put, I think, six teams in the NCAA tournament two years ago, seven teams, uh, I believe it was, last year. It's a big season for two of the 
coaches in that league who happen to be two of the cornerstone players in the league in Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing. And both teams are off to good starts so far this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think in terms of the Big East, though, this is I think it's a little bit of a down year for them just because they don't have a team that's kind of like the big powerhouse that has a chance to win the championship. Like Villanova is still a very good team, except I, I don't think of them as being quite as good as they were in previous years. Uh, I, an analytics site that I really like to look at for ranking college basketball teams is KenPom.com. Are you guys familiar with that? Yep. So yeah, I, I love Ken Palm. And one thing is that Villanova has been like a top five team pretty much every year for the last uh, couple of few seasons. And this year now Villanova is all the way down at 18th. And a big thing that's also a big drop-off for them is that they're ranked 53rd in adjusted defense. And historically in Ken Palm's rankings, basically you have to be a top 20 defense to win the national championship. The reason being is that defense is much more consistent over over the length of a single elimination tournament than offense is. And Villanova at 53rd is way different than what they've been in previous years, where they're almost always a top 10 defense. So the, the Big East, while they're a pretty decent conference in terms of teams that can play with anybody, I don't see them as having like the, the top end teams that they had in previous years. No doubt. Yeah, Ken Palm is, is apparent everywhere you go in college basketball. It's what people talk about. Do you know what their methodology is? I mean, I'm sure they're not letting their secrets out, but you know, what's, what's the background there and, and how have they risen to such importance in the college hoop scene? Yeah. Uh, so Ken Palm, actually, I had reached out to him when I was in college because he helped me do a uh, thesis project that I did like my, junior year of college where I built a model to uh, simulate basketball games to predict the NCAA tournament one year. So I do have a little bit of an understanding how it works. And basically it uses like a matrix model where it compares the strength of schedule of every single team and how they've played against each team. And so it's able to adjust for opponents in that way. So as opposed to just looking at a win-loss record, which isn't necessarily super accurate for college basketball, just because there's so many different levels of teams. Like you could have a team that, you know, is like a 500 team, but they're still like the 300th best team in the country because they play such an easy schedule. Whereas there could be a team that plays in a major conference that's below 500. That's a much better team than that lower uh, 300 team in Ken Palm because they play a much more difficult schedule. So the idea is, is, is it's supposed to adjust the offensive and defensive efficiency for each individual matchup and how teams uh, have played against tougher competition. And then it also uh, includes the scores of those games, the win margin, but then it also gets cut off at a certain point. So I'm not sure what the exact number is, but like a, a 50 point win isn't worth any different than like a 40 point win. Cause there's a certain point where it just says like, okay, there's a, there's a cutoff here. Greg, I'm sorry. I was told there wasn't going to be any math here this morning. So my you get somebody, you get somebody on who used to do comedy and that's what you expect. There's yes. a lot of, a lot of mathematics. <laughs> Greg Ehrenberg of DraftKings, our guest this week on the podcast. I just want to jump back to the big East a little bit. Uh, you spoke of your alma mater. Mine is Seton Hall. They graduated so much last year. I saw them play the other day against Louisville, had a chance, but lost. They, they've, had a decent start. Where do they fit in in the Big East? Yeah, I think that, like I said, one of the reasons that they, I think they do have a chance, even though they've gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start, is that the Big East doesn't have those top-end teams that it had in previous years, which kind of allows them to compete with almost anybody. If you look at the Ken Palm rankings, they're actually 58th right now, 
which is not really a terrible spot to be. It's still a, a chance to win, uh, to maybe make a run in the tournament and even make the NCAA tournament. Uh, one thing that kind of looking at their numbers uh, is Miles Powell, who's been their best player and has been one of the better players in the Big East so far, is I think that he's looking at some potential positive regression in his three-point shooting. So he shot 38% from three last year, shooting 35% from three this year. But his free throw shooting has gone up. He's shooting 88% from three versus 79 uh, from the free throw line versus 79% from the free throw line last year. So that leads me to believe that he's a better shooter this year than last year. So I think that we should see a little bit of an uptick in his three-point percentage, which would obviously just overall benefit the team as him being the, the best scorer and just helping them spread the floor better. And no question, as he goes, they go. I mean, they, they have some improved play from some other players, but he's unquestionably their leader. And when he is on from outside, they're a much better team. Any chance against Kentucky this weekend? Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's at Madison I'm Square not, Garden. And I'm, Kentucky's I'm never, not actually say, in their class. I'll never say a team has no chance, except the, the chance of winning that game is pretty slim. Like, they're going to be a, a double-digit underdog in that game, and it's, it's going to be a, a tough one. It's one that I'd give them probably like a 10% chance or so to win. Well, it's year three of the Steve Peichel era down at Rutgers, and they've been taking baby steps the first couple of years. And it looks as if there might be some light at the end of the tunnel for Scarlet Knights fans. They had a nice win against Miami on the road. They hung in with the Spartans of Michigan State at home a week ago. And they had a five-point lead on Wisconsin at Wisconsin last night. Ethan Happ, of course, does his thing in the second half and Rutgers loses. But it's not, you know, double-digit loss after double-digit loss. So maybe there is uh, some bright days ahead for uh, Rutgers basketball fans. Yeah, I think so. And actually, my mom went to Rutgers, so that's ah, uh, it's all coming full circle here. We, we got it all exactly. covered. What about my Friars, though? We got to talk about Providence later, too. <laughs> uh, so, so for so for Rutgers, uh, like like I was saying before about how it being important who you play and how you play tougher teams. A five point loss to Wisconsin last night, like that's not a bad game. Like that's a positive game for them overall. And actually, in the Ken Palm rankings right now, Rutgers is the twentieth ranked defense in the entire in the entire country. So I think that that in itself is is something that they could hang their hat on. They have not been great on offense for the 229th ranked adjusted offense, but a top 20 defense is really solid. That's going to let them uh, stay in there with a lot of the the better teams. Uh, I'm I, I always pronounce his name wrong. Eugene Amururi. Did it. I get that correct? Amururi. All right. Well, there we go. Nailed that's it. it. Uh, so one thing that's been really impressive about his game so far this year is he didn't make any three-pointers his freshman or sophomore year, and this year he's shooting 43% from three. Now, certainly that's going to regress a little bit, but that's a that's a really big jump for somebody to take as a big man who didn't shoot threes at all to all of a sudden being one of the better three-point shooters on the team. So I think that that's a really encouraging sign and also the, the defense for them. You know, I read an article that uh, Eugene took 500 three-point shots six days a week over the offseason. So he's a guy that Coach Peichel really, uh, you know, points to as someone that's going to bring the lunch pail. He works on his game. And as you said, he's completely remade himself as a player. He's a legitimate player now in the Big Ten. Yeah, I have a quick question for you as, as a coach. When you see a big man who doesn't take any threes and is working really hard on the offseason, when would you feel comfortable with them taking those threes in a game? When they can make like 10 in a row in front of me in practice? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I have uh, I have eighth grade kids, so I have I have youth. But, um, you know, 
if the guy, as I said, if he's taking them and I see them in practice that he's making them and then, you know, in scrimmages, if it's not, you know, if he's not shooting it off the side of the backboard, then sure, I would let him take some of those shots. At 6'7 or 6'8 and about 230 or so, I still want him to work inside out. But um, if he proves he can start making them, yeah, I'll do that. And then what he'll do is maybe lure the other team's big man out and then he can put it on the floor and go buy him. So he's really becoming a, a dual threat player. Yeah, I mean, that's that's modern basketball now. We're seeing it all the time in, in NBA also, which is you want your big men to be able to shoot the threes to spread the floor. And then obviously three points is worth more than two points. Uh, one situation where it hasn't worked, well, at least in the NBA, is with Andre Drummond, who claimed that he was a 40% three-point shooter in practice and hasn't been able to make them at all this year. No, but. just tell him to <laughs> rebound the ball, right? That's all he really needs to do is bring uh, his rebound, rebound and dunk. He, yeah. seems, he seems to make dunks at a pretty high percentage. Absolutely. And I mentioned before, as we're going through everyone's alma mater, my guys, uh, Providence plays at Boston College tonight. BC's off to a good start again. You know, the Jim Christian didn't look like he was going to last too long up at the Heights. But he has really turned things around up there. They uh, they had a very good season last year. They're off to a 6-1 and one start now. Ed Cooley's had a lot of success. He lost a ton of talent from last year's team. He's got some some really good freshmen in the mix. Now, what do you see from my Friars? Maybe a step back this year? Uh, well, it's uh, I'm just bringing up some of the numbers right now. I think They're not pretty, one thing- I don't think. <laughs> not not the best. Uh, one thing, one guy who I do like from the team is Alpha Diallo. Yes. Uh, and there's there's been a lot of uh, Diallos now. There's a Czech Diallo in the NBA, uh, Hamadou Diallo's in the NBA. Yes, it's uh, the and, new Smith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, everybody's a Diallo now. <laughs> so in terms of uh, how he's looked, uh, another guy shooting over 40% from three this year. Uh, there's a decent amount of shooting on Providence. I mean, Isaiah Jackson shot the ball well this year. Diallo shot the ball well this year. Mm-hmm. AJ Reeves has shot the ball well. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I, I think that there is reasons to be optimistic about that. Uh, I, I like I like three point shooting. I like defense. Uh, so Providence. I don't know if they'll be quite as good as last year, but I, I think they should be fine this season. Yeah. Let's get back and and we'll we'll talk a little bit about some other sports at the tail end of this uh, with Greg Ehrenberg of DraftKings. But let's wrap up the college basketball portion with. Sleepers, um, you know, it's early in the rankings. Uh, there's improvement that we're going to see. There'll be Cinderella teams. There'll be teams that will fall off the pace they've established, not live up to reputations, et cetera. Who are some of the sleepers, though, that you've got an eye on? Yeah, so it's hard to really call them uh, a sleeper in terms of the rankings or anything like that. But like I said, I like defense. I like shooting. So I think that Virginia is a team that isn't necessarily being talked a ton about in terms of being a team that could win the championship. But still, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings right now, they're second overall in defensive efficiency. They're 11th in offense and third overall. So I think that they're a team that kind of the, the betting market and just the general fan never really thinks about Virginia as being like a sexy type team because they're, they're not the Dukes. They're not the Kentuckys. They don't have the flashy players. But they're a team that's just really solid defensively. They're going to slow the pace down, and they're going to win with defense and just kind of a grit and grind, almost like what the Grizzlies are to the NBA. Yeah, defense so I think isn't just, sexy. No, it, it isn't, except it wins games, that's and it's it. and it's and it's consistent. Because when you get to the tournament time, the reason that we see the defensive teams have more sustained success is because if you play good defense, that carries over game to game. Defense could be good every every game but offense 
you could have good possessions and the shots just don't fall. There's more variance to offense than there is to defense. So to me, I look at a team like a Virginia and say, like, that team has a better chance to win the championship than most people would think. You know, Greg, I'll tell my guys tomorrow night before we, we suit them up. Offense comes and goes, fellas, but defense travels. That's what any coach will tell anybody. And if you can make, <laughs> yeah, if you can make sure, listen, we might not be able to put the ball in the basket, but if the other team doesn't either, we're going to stay in the game, you know? Yeah, definitely. And then defense also is much more effort-oriented, right. whereas offense, I think, is a little bit more skill-oriented. So you, you, can't, you can't teach seven feet tall. You can't teach athleticism. But you could teach proper defensive techniques and proper effort and, and just chemistry, which I think is also plays a really big role in the defense. No doubt. And Matt mentioned before about some sleepers. Interesting to see and, and sort of nice to see in the, uh, in the top 25 rankings this week, uh, uh, Buffalo is in there and also Furman, the Paladins for the first time, you know, not so fresh off their blowout of Villanova, but they took Villanova down a couple of weeks ago. And how about that? It's nice to see two teams that sort of, which one of these is not like the other ones finding them way into the top 25. Yeah, so I can get behind Buffalo. I think that Buffalo is is a solid team this year. To me, Furman, though, like I understand the, the rankings and how how they're done. It's very built on record. And Furman has started eating out. So it, it's hard to ignore that. And you can only be as good as your schedule. So if you beat the teams that are in front of you, like there's nothing you could do about playing an easy schedule. But with that said, Furman in the in the Ken Palm rankings, they're ranked 122nd. And their strength of schedule has been one of the easiest in the country so yeah. far this year. So to me, I think they're probably not nearly as good as the ranking suggests. Uh, like I said, the 122nd in the Ken Palm rankings. So I think that they would probably struggle once they start to play more difficult teams. But when you're playing the 250th ranked schedule in college basketball and you win those games, it's just it doesn't do as much to me as even in terms of like Rutgers who lost by five to Wisconsin, that might be more impressive than any of the games that Furman's played so far this year. Well, it certainly was a feather in Rutgers cap and and you're right. uh, Furman may fall from grace. Uh, Last question on college hoops before we wrap up with a couple of other sports right now, who's your national champion? Yeah. Like I said before, I, I think it has to be Duke. It's, it's not as confident as a pick as it would have been say like a week or two ago when it is easy to get, in the hype of you see Zion Williamson running the fast break, blocking shots, uh, hitting a three. And when you see that type of thing, it's hard not to get wrapped up and just say like, Oh, this team is going to be unbeatable or whatever. But like I said, there's just so much talent there with Cameron Reddish and RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson that I think that they will be the best and the most talented team come the tournament and the, and the most difficult to beat. So moving off of college hoops, what do you think about the Mets and Robinson Cano? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was, I think it's an interesting trade from the standpoint of like, what are the Mets trying to do right now? Which I think is always I've been a little trying hard to, to figure, figure that out. out. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> cause, cause it seemed like the start of the off season was, are they going to trade Noah Syndergaard? And that seemed to be something that people were talking about. Like, is Syndergaard going to get traded or not? And then they trade for Robinson Cano. And it's like, what, what are they trying to do? Like, it doesn't make sense that you would take on Cano and trade away Syndergaard one thing that's kind of under the radar that I that I did like about the trade is they is they held on to McNeil. So McNeil was a really good rookie last year and actually was about as valuable as Robinson Cano was last year. And if you look at the the steamer projections, which is a, a projection source that's up on Fangraphs.com, 
he's projected to be about as valuable next year as Robinson Cano. They're both about three win players. And so they were able to hold on to McNeil. Obviously they get Cano also the Mets gave up a lot of good talent in the trade though. Also is they gave away their first round pick from 2017 and their first round pick from 2016. And the big concern to me with Robinson Cano is what do you expect from him at this point? He's 36 years old. The power has been declining the last couple of years, and he's coming off a PED suspension. So there's a lot of red flags there. So actually what I think was the best acquisition from the Mets in the trade was Edwin Diaz, who they got back, who's one of the best relievers in baseball. Cheap, he's cost-controlled, he's only 27 years old. So Cano on the massive contract, to me, I think that he's the bigger name who a lot of people are going to look at and say, oh, the Mets got Robinson Cano. But I'm looking at it as, hey, they got Edwin Diaz, who's one of the best relievers in baseball. And as we've seen in recent years, that's a really valued commodity now. Absolutely. I think this is going to go down as the Edwin Diaz trade. As you said, that kid is electric. He throws 100 miles an hour, and uh, his delivery is really good. And the problem now is, uh, and I, listen, I give Brody Van Wagen in credit. He didn't come in here and you know sit on his hands. This is a bold move. I mean, he's throwing his chips in the middle of the table. The thing now is, will he be able to go out now and find some offense so that shiny new weapon that he has in the bullpen actually has a lead at the end of the game to protect? Because their offense was so bad last year, and who knows what's going to happen with some of the injured players? Are they going to come back and what the story is going to be? Is he going to go out now and get a big bat or a couple of bats? Yeah, you you would hope so as a Mets fan. And I think this too, if they've already given up two of their recent first round picks to get Cano and, and Diaz, to me at this point, like you just have to be all in. Like I don't, you yeah. ha- you hold on to Syndergaard and maybe you try to package more picks to to get another bat. Uh, I know that with some of the financial struggles of the Wilpons the last couple of years, I don't think that they're going to be in the free agent market to sign like a Bryce Harper or anything like that. But I think if they could trade more prospects to try to get another bat or two, you have to hope that uh, Cespedes is healthy this year because the heel injury was huge for him last year, obviously missed most of the year, but he still played well when he was out there. Uh, he still showed the, the power upside. So I think that his health is going to be key for the Mets. And then one thing that they are also going to have this year, assuming that all goes well, I know that pitching could always uh, could always end up with injuries and all that. But DeGrom and Syndergaard at the top of the rotation, that's, that's lights out. So I, I think that there is uh, an avenue for the Mets to be good this year and to be competitive. They were actually really good at the start of last year. They were good at the finish of last year, and they were terrible everything in between. But I think there's potential for them to be a decent team. So help me out. This is the last one on my fantasy football side. I had Christian have Christian McCaffrey. I had Kareem Hunt. Do I have any chance in the playoffs? Can Theo Riddick and Christian McCaffrey lead me to the promised land? (laughs) Even I can help you with that. The answer is (laughs) no. It's it's, it's probably not going to be no. But I'm gonna. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw this out as a as a teaching lesson. Something that I've started doing in my fantasy football leagues. When you have a really high end running back draft them with their handcuff so meaning like towards the end of the year if you had a cream hunt you put spencer Ware on that team also because if something happens to hunt your team isn't all of a sudden drawing dead because you have the backup who's going to step in i think that's a good use of the end of the roster i know that's something i drafted uh levy on bell in a couple of leagues this year and towards the later rounds i drafted james connor with them also just because it gave me that protection of okay i don't know when levy on bell is going to come back but at least i have connor there for as long as bell's out and then what ended up happening was Connor was just as valuable as Le'Veon Bell was all this season. So that's something I would recommend for future fantasy football leagues is just draft the backup towards the end of the draft 
with whoever your like first round running back is. I I have an idea too. Maybe you can build this into the DraftKings thing. Is put in a sort of a police blotter uh, area where people can check the local police reports to make sure that none of their players actually appear on any. Uh, warrants or arrest sheets. Uh, that, I think the I think the list would get a little lengthy. Yeah, yeah, it might. But that is that is good advice for next year. Where were you in August? That's all I want to ask, Greg. Where were you in August when I got Kareem Hunt and I watched him take my team to the top? And now, like a zenith, we're in trouble as the as the playoffs approach. Actually, first week of the playoffs this week. Hey, Greg, thanks very much for your time. Really enjoyed it. Great conversation. Great insight. And uh, we really appreciate your sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Anything you guys want to follow, anybody wants to come check out my work, I post everything on my Twitter handle. It's at GEhrenbergDFS. And then also for DraftKings, we do a TV show every Sunday. It's called The Sweat on SNY. It usually starts at either 11 or 11.30 a.m., and we just talk about the football games and the football slate as it pertains to a DraftKings purpose. Perfect. Uh, We'll make sure that that word gets out again. Thanks very much, and enjoy the rest of uh, the college hoop season. Yeah, you too, guys. Hey, that was a fun episode. Really appreciate Greg coming on. Absolutely, yeah. Learning some insights there. You know, the DraftKings, all of how he goes about putting his teams together and how he's really reliant on those analytics, the Ken Palm that we spoke about and uh, some of the other things. It's big business. It is big business, and it's a booming business, and DraftKings does a great job. And I will put in the recess of my mind that drafting philosophy, I wish I knew it this year, but next year I will be prepared. When I go for a big dog, I'll get the pup behind him in case I need him. So the handcuff. The big Take dog, him. that's for that's sure. It. And that'll do it on this week's edition of the podcast for more sports now. Again, we thank Greg Ehrenberg of DraftKings for joining us. For John McAlevey, I'm Matt Lachlan. So long, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.